0: Thanks so much for listening to the Park Hills podcast. This week we begin with our Gospels discussion that we promised last week. If you're interested in more that we have going on, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app.
1: You know, Chris, I often wonder um, what, what it would be like to be reading the Bible and not from our vantage point in that not knowing that Christ came and died on the cross and, and rose again. And so without that, that framework of understanding all that the Old Testament was pointing to. And I think if you were just reading the Bible without knowing that the Gospels were coming, I think there would be this sense of, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I I, I kind of had my fill of the Bible here. I mean, it, it's just so heavy. But but we're here. We're we're in the Gospels yeah. now. And every time I've read through the Bible, it's just I've found myself just longing for that. I've done some reading where you do a bunch of Old Testament and a little bit of New Testament each day, and that, that was kind of refreshing. Yeah. But I love the whole the perspective we've seen as we go through it this way. But we're we're in the Gospels now. And yep. And just to read the Gospels sort of through linearly, even if you are changing the order of Luke and John, as we are in this case, but yeah. uh, you, you see the similar threads. You see the same message, if you will, but you see a different slant on it, don't you?
0: Yeah, it's more of a paradigm or a perspective shift for each one of these Gospels. So for us to break them each down will give you a different vantage point, right, or a different lens that you're looking at it through, which. Honestly, I want to skip back to what you just said. Just thinking about it from that perspective, the vast majority of the audience that's listening to this and the vast majority of people that we know came to Christ because someone proclaimed Christ as the one everyone was waiting for, and that didn't necessarily make any sense to us when we first heard it. We just knew that we needed something, and someone told us Christ was the answer. So we put our our trust in Jesus, and it isn't until much later often in a Christian's life, at least in America and the West— that you then turn around and realize, oh, there's a whole other part of this book that talks about this guy. And so even us going through the story the way we are this year is giving people hopefully the vantage point of all of these Old Testament things that are pointing us to Jesus. And then we've got the accounts of Jesus, the Gospels, and then the follow-up from that is what we're going to get to when we hit Acts and all of that. But it, it would be interesting to be someone who never heard the Gospel at all Except for all of a sudden someone reads the book of Matthew to you and you go, I really like this
1: guy. Who is this? I'm gonna yeah. follow him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you don't even have the context and Yeah, how often do we just start with the gospel gospel of John or Right or even just obviously peppering Romans in there to, to understand why we need the Savior, but even the the depth that the Old Testament gives, but then just this arrival in the gospels of oh, he is the one we've been waiting for. Yeah. You know.
0: Which the Jewish audiences that we typically think about. You know, the disciples and the others, they're looking for someone because of what the Old Testament is telling them. But thinking of Paul's journey to the Gentile cities, some of them were in synagogues coming to, the, they wanted to know the Jewish God. Yeah. And Paul comes there and proclaims the version of the Jewish God that everyone should know, which is Jesus, uh, which that sentence sounded weird when I said it out loud. You know, I'm not saying that Jesus is like the different version of different gods, but you know what I'm saying. Like, he's God in the flesh. No yeah. one expected that even though the they true, should the have. The true Messiah. The true Messiah, the true, you know, God in the flesh, tabernacling amongst people. And then Paul's proclaiming this to people. But imagine being a Gentile who has no background in Jewish, whatever, and Paul just walks up to you and he says, Jesus is the Messiah who's here to save you. All right, I'm good. What does that mean? You know? Yeah. So So with that said, we want to kind of break down the Gospels in a few different ways. And uh, we have a couple questions that we're going to ask, don't we?
1: Yeah, I mean, so... What, what we see as we look at these Gospels is, okay, first of all, who are the audiences? And, and you would think, you know, I think we're, we somewhat maybe narcissistically think we're, we're the audience of everything. And yes, we ultimately are, but there's an initial audience that's different, isn't it, as we look at these Gospels?
0: Yeah, and each of the Gospels is, is definitely going to have a different audience. You're going to hear that if you listen to all four of these episodes, you know, in a row, or you go back and look at them someday later. Matthew is a curious one. It seems to have a lot of heavy Jewish influences. It starts with a Davidic ancestry, so no one would care about that unless you were Jewish. And I heard a really interesting theory one time that said Matthew actually lines up with the Jewish liturgical system. And so if you imagine the Jews sort of set aside, this is what's going to be read on this week, this is what's going to be read on this week, and so on and so forth, and, uh, and they basically set up their entire church calendar That's a Best way probably to describe it. So, in the synagogues, you would have a reading on this Saturday, this Saturday, this Saturday, all the way through. And some believe that what Matthew actually did was create something that would go alongside of each of these liturgical readings throughout the whole
1: year. Amazing thought, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So, to just imagine reading something about the law, maybe it's a Levitical passage, you know, early in the year as you're going through what we would call the Old Testament, what they would call the Hebrew Scriptures, and all of a sudden you hit a portion of Matthew that talks directly about Jesus's perspective on the law. Really interesting. I don't know what to do with that. I'm not an expert in it, but I just thought it was an interesting theory to throw out there. So the audience, we think it's primarily a Hebrew audience, but clearly, you know, it's written to everybody. They just, I don't know if Matthew would have thought of it that way. Uh, What do we think is the key verse of Matthew?
1: It's a little bit of a tougher one, at least in comparison to, uh, to, to John and, and, uh, Luke, but we have that wonderful, great commission, as we call it, from Matthew 28. And, uh, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Sure seems to kind of break it down to that, and that's certainly one of the big things we take away from it for sure.
0: It is. And I think one of the key things to remember about the Great Commission that we just read is he starts it by saying, I have been given this authority. I have earned it. He's not saying it in that way, but all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What he has done on the cross has solidified the story. He is who he says he is. Because of that, because he has the authority, now he wants you to go do something. So our response should be to then follow up and actually do what he's asked us to do.
1: Yep, to respond to that, to that call, to the authority. What a cool, a cool way to, to end it. It's like, okay, here, here's Jesus and here's what he's done. And here's what he's done for you. And here's all he's been through. And Hey, by the way, share this share this with everybody.
0: Yeah. And I know we've said this before in a sermon series and we we'll, and I know we're going to teach Matthew uh, in the near future you know, in the next couple of years, since you made fun of the fact that our sermon calendar is six years out or whatever,
1: <laughs> but <laughs> I appreciate it. Adam. Yeah,
0: we're very diligent. Uh, but when we get to this part of Matthew, I'll you know I'm sure one of us will repeat this again. But I am pretty convinced that Matthew 28, 18 through twenty and Acts one eight maybe were all said at the same time, and Matthew took an aspect of it, and then Luke took an aspect of it, and, and you put those two things together. So then you think about it. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples as you go about yeah. doing these things, right? Baptizing, teaching, to obey all that I've commanded. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. So therefore, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth in that Acts eight, yeah. I think if you put those two things together, now you have the Great Commission and where the location of it all is.
1: And you will receive the power to do it. Yeah.
0: So I would not be surprised if those two things maybe were all said at the same time, possibly even as Jesus is ascending into heaven. You know, this is what he says, sort of, I, I don't know. I, the details on it are a little, not sketchy, but interesting to me to kind of process and think about.
1: I think it would have been, it, it, it would have made sense, but that doesn't mean that that's the way it was. But I mean, sure, just, but that whole idea, okay. Because um, certainly the disciples would have been, okay, wait a minute. You've been the one sending us out and, <laughs> and showing us... We have authority to do things, and okay, so who's going to empower us now? Right, <laughs> Acts one eight, but you'll receive power. Right, I mean, he told them the Helper was coming, and even the benefit of, you know, him going away so the Helper can come, the, the Spirit coming. But yeah, it would uh, certainly leave questions in their mind, I would think. Yeah, definitely. So we got a structure here to to note, don't we?
0: Yeah, I think the big thing with with Matthew, if we're going to break down the structure and kind of what it is and what it looks like. You, you notice that it starts with David. I, I talked about that. There's a Davidic royalty beauty thing there. And, and what I'm saying there, we'll go into more detail later on when we actually teach Matthew or when this sermon on Matthew 1 comes out. But you have three sets of 14 to start there. And the the number 14, if you take the letters D, the letter V in Hebrew, which is actually a vav, which is the, the, the basically the 10th or the, sorry, the sixth letter of the alphabet. So the fourth letter of the alphabet, sixth letter of the alphabet, fourth letter of the alphabet, that's Dawid, or what we would say David. 14 is a number that comes from David, and he does three sets of 14 and keeps saying David is the guy that, that Jesus comes from. So right off the bat, if you're a Jewish person reading this, you're going, oh my goodness, this is amazing. He's pointing out that it's Jesus. And then from there, the rest of Matthew is basically just a consistent pattern of trying to show you that he is in fact the Davidic king who came to serve and to change the world. So cool, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And so if you think about the way that he teaches is similar to maybe how you would expect David to teach, like when David to sing psalms, like a good king who's going to take care of the teaching aspect correctly, Uh, a good king who's going to provide for the people through the feeding of the 5,000, the good king who is the, the transfiguration, the, you know, the, the walking, living, breathing God on a mountain who happens to be the king that we're also looking for, and then the king who gives us this final declaration of I've been given all authority and power, now go do what I've asked you to do.
1: Imagine, you know, it would have been fascinating to to be amongst Jews as they're reading this or hearing this and drawing those parallels would have been really cool. Uh, Whereas a a Gentile may not have gotten those if they hadn't had any experience in the synagogue or whatever, just to have them uh, a difference. And that really will make us appreciate the gospels more when we look at the different target audiences.
0: Well, and it's one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about the old Testament. It's not that I don't love the new, obviously the new Testament is, is where it's at. It's where we know everything that comes to fruition. But, I'm so passionate about trying to connect the two as opposed to leaving one off and then just dealing with the new, which is what a lot of folks do intentionally or unintentionally. And I think that we lose a lot if we don't look back. And Matthew is beckoning us to do that the whole time. I mean, every, almost every detail Matthew throws out, there's a Jewish flair to it that's calling back some scripture. Matthew quotes the Old Testament a lot more than some of the other Gospels do. Uh, And he's really aiming for an ideal here of saying this is what Israel was supposed to be. This is the king that we're supposed to be looking for. Uh, And so I want to honor that when I think about Matthew and the structure that he's keeping. He also is very Hebrew in the way that he structures the gospel. It's got callbacks and lots of wrapping in pieces of literature that are tying together. Similar to when you're reading a psalm, that, that psalm may not make sense if you don't understand Leviticus. And it definitely doesn't make sense if you don't understand the prophets. And those things are all connecting to one another Trying to get you to see the story. Uh, I think Matthew is the closest gospel to that that we have.
1: Just drawing, the, pu- pulling their interest back in and keeping them wanting more. Yeah. Certainly, there's a lot of detail on Christ's judgment and all that he went through and his death in um, the final part. And Matthew gives us a lot of detail on that. Really helps us understand just what our redemption, our redemption costs. Right. Within that, we have all these amazing stories and and accounts and verses. Do you have a favorite in there, Chris?
0: Yeah, I went uh, small, and I decided just to say my favorite part of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. And when I say small,
1: uh, that would be cheating. I think <laughs> it's like three whole <laughs> chapters,
0: but it is it is unique. Uh, you know the other. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have some element of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's is the most robust. So it starts with the Beatitudes, and then it goes through all these amazing things. you got the prayer that he, you know, Jesus teaches his disciples in there, so what we would call the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, there's a lot going on there. He's also re- reconfiguring some of the Old Testament laws that maybe the people had gotten wrong. Uh, so, man, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Honestly, when I, when I open Matthew, I get really excited if it's five through seven. If it's somewhere in there, I'm going to spend a lot of time just processing and thinking. I think the book kind of flows out from there. What about you? What's what's a favorite passage or a favorite?
1: Well, I'm not going to surprise story. you here, but I got it. I got to be true to it. I mean, you can't get past Jesus walking on the water. I mean, come on. Yeah. And you know my interest in that and desire to do that. I, I just think that's pretty cool. And uh, you know, I, as you know, I've asked the Lord to let me walk on water on various times. Even with nobody around, I promise not to tell anybody. I'm telling you only because it didn't happen. I just got wet. But, I also
0: believe um, that everyone knows that because you've used it in a sermon <laughs> as well. So if you haven't heard this story yet, yes, he sat on the edge of a water and said, Lord, if you'll let me walk, I won't tell anybody. And then what did you do, Mark?
1: Well, I, I took off my shoes and socks and rolled up my pants. So Sounds kind of like you expected to get wet. Yeah, I did. I did. And I did. So my expectations were, were accurate. <laughs> but uh you know, you know, my mind goes to fun places like did did Jesus think this is gonna be fun to do, you know, to see their reaction to this. I don't know. But and yet a reminder that he's Lord over all. Mm-hmm. And for him to even say to them, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? But good stuff, good stuff there.
0: He is such, not just an amazing character, but such an amazing individual and an amazing God. All of the things that he does blow our minds, but there are these ones that just kind of speak to us you know, a little bit more closely than, than some others. So I think the, the big thing that I would want to wrap up with, Matthew, goes back to that Great Commission, this idea that Jesus has something he wants us to do. Our job description is given to us in the last three verses of Matthew, which I think Matthew is intentional, clearly making sure it's there. And so then therefore the Holy Spirit is intentional saying, this is what I want to leave you with. There's all these amazing things about Jesus, the son of God. He is who he says he is. He is the son of David. He is the king you've been waiting for. He is God in the flesh. He is capable of feeding 5,000. He's capable of walking on water. He's capable of healing all these people and these amazing things. But what he wants you to do is to go about your daily life making disciples. And that's what he wants you to do. And so when I read Matthew and I get to those last couple of verses, it just solidifies for me the whole point of the whole book. If he really is who he says he is, then you're supposed to do what he's asking you to do. And what he's asking you to do is to make disciples, which is something that we're both very, very passionate about.
1: Yeah. it's It's not just, okay, do you believe that he is... The Messiah do you believe that salvation comes through him um, do you believe it enough to declare it yep and do you have the same heart um, or the same mindset with which Christ came and that is to redeem the lost and are you going to be selfish about this or are you going to be one who says no I want to share this good news and and I want to follow the, the leadership of this man and I know I can't be him, but I want to live like he lived. And and I think people forget how radical uh, that was, or we don't even understand how radical it was. Even just his humble way of, of serving was just totally countercultural to leaders of that day and, and to say, okay, yeah, not only is he Lord, but he's wanting me to let it change the way I live I'm a, and a, to the point where I'm going to be a disciple of his, try to emulate um, the life that he lived.
0: Which I don't think, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, although it's going to come across this way, and I don't mean it that way, but I don't think most of us approach the Christian life, at least in the beginning, from that perspective. I don't know about you, but the way that I was approached about Jesus was more of a, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Do you want to spend time with him forever? Well, then pray this prayer, and this is what's important. Which, that has to happen. You have to come to a place where you understand, I am a, I'm a sinner in need of saving. I There's no one on earth that can save me besides Jesus. I'm both repenting of my sin and accepting the gift of salvation he gives. All of that is absolutely necessary. But very few people that I know came to Christ and were told, this is what you get to be a part of. This is the mission that he's on. Yeah. He wants the whole world to know it. And so, so many of us have sort of just... Settled into that, well, I prayed the prayer and I'm good, as opposed to understanding, no, his final command to us as he ascends into heaven is to go share this message with the whole world, teaching them to obey all that he's committed, which means we need to know what he taught and we need to obey it so that others can obey it with us, and baptizing, which means bringing people into the faith and showing them what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. But so many of our folks, both here and elsewhere around the whole country, and I've, I've talked to church leaders all over the place. A lot of our, our people in the in the church, and I, I'm not necessarily just talking about Park Hills, I'm just saying, in general, the Western church, a lot of folks think, I come on Sunday morning, I give a little bit of money to the church, I raised a good family, I'm good at my job, that's all I need to do. Sure, that's a part of what Christian life looks like, but do you consider yourself a disciple maker?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think we exchange morality, you know, and and... What decency of, of life for what it truly means to be a disciple. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be moral, you're going to be decent, th- those kinds of things, but it's... No, it's disciple-maker is this whole idea of of doing something far beyond you and something beyond your ability. I think we forget that. I mean, like you just br- yeah. pointed out earlier, to the, draw the connection between that and Acts 1-8, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. So, it, yeah, I can work really hard at being moral and being honest and being a decent person. But if I'm going to be used in a discipleship way to, to bring other people to that point of baptism, even it, it's going to have to be the spirit empowered uh, yep. part of me that makes that change happen. And as a result, I think a lot of people miss out on, on a deeper faith um, because they aren't experiencing that yep. part that requires power. Think about it. anybody can choose to be moral or decent or whatever, because they, you know, okay, I'm a God-fearing person, I'm going to live this way, and you can work that out fairly well, although we know our righteousness is filthy rags, right? But we don't get to that point of really having to be dependent on the Spirit's power, and we're missing out. We are.